Hello and welcome to Madison Church Online. My name is Stephen, lead pastor of Madison Church, and I'm really thankful that you're here with us today. Um, I wonder if you're familiar with, although I, I'm pretty sure you are, but are you familiar with the phrase, tip of the iceberg? It's a metaphor just meant to imply or describe really that what we're seeing is only just surface, that there's something else going on beneath the surface, right? It's only a fraction. It's like only 10% of the iceberg shows and the rest of the iceberg is 90% underwater. And the reason that most of us are familiar with this phrase today is uh, because of the most famous iceberg, and that's the one that sank the Titanic on April 14th in 1912. Navigators of the ship saw one small iceberg, and because it was just a small iceberg and they were such a large ship, they figured there wasn't anything to worry about. But it wasn't the part that they could see above the surface that was the issue for the Titanic. It was the 90% of the iceberg that they could not see below the surface. They only saw the tip of the iceberg, and because they were unaware of what they could not see, 1,514 people died. I want to start this way because I think that in a lot of areas of our lives, we only show 10% of, of what's really going on. That's the stuff that we're willing to say. It's the stuff that we're willing to do. It's not necessarily the things that we think, though. It's definitely not the stuff that we put on social media. And yet every one of us, we do. We have a lot going on underneath the surface, things that we're not putting on uh, our stories for the world to see. And a lot of the things that we do keep below the surface is our emotions or are our emotions. Many times we're also unaware of what we're feeling and going through because we push it down uh, so far. Now you can probably see why this is relevant because just like those icebergs that caused the Titanic to sh be shipwrecked, um, so often we can shipwreck our own relationships because we're ignoring what's going on below the surface. And instead of diving in deeper and discovering the issues and, and wondering why do I feel the way that I do and how do I handle that, we just focus on the 10% that we can see, the 10% that everyone else sees uh, until we've had enough. And it's at that point when we decide that we need to make different friends, we need to find a different church, we need to choose a different partner. You see, because we can ignore these issues for a period of time, but eventually it's going to cause a wreck. Now, switching friends or churches or a partner is like another metaphor, and that is you're switching chairs on the Titanic. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter where you're sitting on the Titanic. When it hits the iceberg, it's going down, and what's going to happen to you is going to happen to you. And when we do this with our lives, we make different friends, go to different churches, whatever it might be. We're like switching chairs. You see, we're not really addressing the problem. We're not addressing what's going to be our downfall anyway. We're just switching chairs, changing the view for a few moments. I want to state on the front end of our talk today that unprocessed emotions, emotions that you're ignoring, pushing below the surface, they will not go away. They oftentimes get worse. If they're not properly acknowledged, if they're not properly properly processed, they will remain and they will show up at inopportune times in your life. And oftentimes it'll be very destructive. We have to honestly examine our emotions so that we can be free to fully love God 
and to love other people. And because this is easier said than done, we're doing a series called Emotionally Healthy Relationships. And it's for all of us who want healthy and meaningful relationships. And we all want healthy and meaningful relationships. And yet all of us have experienced our fair share of disappointments in relationships. Now, rarely ever is the true source of our disappointment and our frustration, our irritation, our heartbreak found in that 10% of the surface level of what we can see going on. Oftentimes what torpedoes our relationships is the 90% below the surface. But I want to tell you that this isn't just a series about relationships. It's a series on spirituality. If you'll recall last weekend, um, I was talking about how the Pharisees and the Sadducees kept trying to trick Jesus. And one of the things that they tried to do is say, uh, what's the most important commandment? To which Jesus replied, well, you love God and love other people. It's a Bible verse that very many of us are familiar with. But what the part you may not be aware of is that Jesus ends that story in Matthew by saying that All of the law of Moses and prophets hang on these two. Jesus was saying that everything that we have in the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament, every verse, every chapter, every book is meant to help you and me, people before us and the people come after us, love God better and love other people better. So it doesn't necessarily matter how long you pray or how often you pray or how often you go to church or how much of the Bible you have memorized. If those things aren't resulting in you loving people better, people like you, your friends, your family, but even people not like you, people that are hard to get along with, then we're not being, we're not using our faith the way, we're not taking in the faith the way that it's meant to be. And therefore what Jesus is insinuating is that the single most important mark of someone who is growing spiritually and maturing in their faith is someone who has an ever-deepening love for God and other people. And to make this practical, we're teaching on five relationship skills, five relational skills written about in the best-selling book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro. Last week, we talked about how important clarifying uh, expectations are, and that message is on YouTube or podcast if you uh, need to go back and listen to it or just want a refresher. And today, we're going to talk about becoming self-aware. Now, what is self-awareness and why are we talking about it in church? I'm I'm glad you asked. Self-awareness is, for the purposes of our talk, going with a broad definition, is to know and understand our own emotions and motivations. To know and understand our emotions and motivations. Every single one of us now has a choice, okay? Because we're going to talk for the next 15 minutes. And you can choose to be resistant Uh, This is a person who just won't go there. I don't want to talk about my motivations. I don't want to talk about my emotions. And most often, uh, people who are resistant are often afraid of what they might find if they do go below the surface. Another choice that you can make right now is to be resigned. Uh, This person just gives up. And this choice, uh, you might be aware of your emotions, but you're not really interested in talking about why you feel that way. But what I hope is that you won't be resistant, and I hope that you won't be resigned. I really hope that you'll be resolved. And someone who is resolved is ready to go there, to go below the surface, to do the hard work, to willing, be willing to put in the hard work for better relationships. And I do hope that you'll be resolved for two main reasons, and because it's going to get you to a place where you're having healthy or healthier relationships and meaningful and more meaningful relationships. 
And because in becoming self-aware and in talking about emotions, we're going to see that emotions aren't bad. We don't have to reject or try to hide our emotions. And in studying this, we're going to find out that Jesus had emotions. And this is going to tell us something about Jesus's humanity. Oftentimes people think of Jesus as being God, just looking like a human or God in human form. But Jesus was actually fully God and fully human. That means that he felt emotions the same as you and I do. And so that is why we're talking about this today. We're going to find out something about our humanity. We're going to find out something about Jesus's humanity. Author Peter Scazzaro says, Scripture portrays Jesus as one who had intense, raw, emotional experiences and was able to express his emotions in an unashamed and unembarrassed freedom to others. I love that. Jesus experienced his emotions and he expressed them. He wasn't ashamed of them as so often you and I are. He expressed them in healthy ways. Let's talk about just a few examples in the gospels. One, Jesus felt anger. Yes, in a lot of stories, we see Jesus showing just profound grace, love, and forgiveness for for so many people. But there are other times when Jesus is pretty mad. You might even say he was pissed off. Uh, If you'll remember last week, those two religious groups were trying to uh, trap Jesus. They were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, they held a lot of power and influence in that era and not just religiously. I know we talk about them in a religious setting, but they made it their business really to create hundreds of extra rules based on extra biblical interpretations of the Bible, which affected people's everyday lives. And then Jesus comes onto the scene and he sees how these extra biblical rules are drowning people. They're weighing people down and they're struggling under the weight of legalism. Remember, Jesus says that uh, everything that we have in the Bible is about loving God and loving other people better. So then when we're looking at all of these extra rules that the Pharisees and the Sadducees had, it makes Jesus mad because it's not helping them love God. It's not helping them love other people, but rather it's paying into this system of religion. He says the teachers are, he's talking to his disciples, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example for they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift up a finger to ease the burden. I I think this is a very interesting passage. Uh, Jesus talking about the Pharisees says, practice and obey whatever they tell you. He says that the words coming out of their mouth are are good, but he says, don't follow their example. That's, it's interesting, isn't it? He says that they don't practice what they preach. And it's the hypocrisy in that, that makes Jesus angry. And he verbalized it to his disciples. He says, this is what's making me upset. And then he goes to the religious leaders and he says, what sorrows await you? teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You won't go in yourself, but you won't let others in either. So Jesus calls them out. He has a healthy confrontation with them. He's articulated that he feels angry because they're hypocritical, because they're not helping people love God and love others more. They're not doing anything like that. And he goes and he has a confrontation with them. Now, from a 
spiritual perspective, I just want to throw this out there. Jesus is not looking for reasons to be angry. I know that sometimes we think of God and the Old Testament, and we think the gods are angry, but this was not the case. What makes Jesus mad here is that there's a group of people who are keeping others from living their best life, from having a full encounter with Christ, with the Messiah, and going to be with him in the kingdom of heaven. So that's what makes Jesus mad. And we can understand that, that at some point it's okay to feel angry. But what's not okay is often how you and I handle our anger. And what I see a lot of people do is we get angry and we just unleash it. We just let it go flying out, just wherever. Whoever comes in, we have a fit of rage and we're going to just verbally berate them. Or we transfer our angers. Something happened at work that makes you mad and you kind of hold it in all day and you get home and you take it out on your spouse, you take it out on your kids. Yeah, eventually you'll feel guilty, but nonetheless, that's the pattern. Or some people conceal their anger and they push it down and they push it down and they push it down until one day they can't push it down anymore. And they either explode with raw emotion, they say a bunch of hurtful things or do hurtful things. Or they do hang on to it and it becomes bitterness and we become passive, aggressive, cynical people who are sarcastic and and again, just very hurtful. Now we see that Jesus says it's okay to be angry. He felt anger, but he expressed it in healthy ways and we should too. Now at other times, Jesus felt sadness. One day we read about how Jesus is one of his closest friends, uh, Lazarus, had died. And Lazarus' sister, Mary, falls at the, his feet and she's just crying. And she's just going, grie- she's grieving and going through pain and suffering and disappointment. And then Jesus walks onto the scene and, and she says to him, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And I wonder how many times in our lives, your life, my life, how many times of us, on our hands and knees, crying, wrought with pain and suffering, disappointment. How many of us had said, Jesus, if only you had been there, this wouldn't have happened. Well, how does Jesus respond to Mary's pain? How does Jesus respond to this request when we are heartbroken and we're wondering, God, where were you? Well, let me tell you what he doesn't do. Jesus doesn't say everything happens for a reason, Mary. He also doesn't say that what happened to Lazarus is part of a larger plan. Although we know in the next few verses that Jesus will raise Lazarus from the dead to show God's glory and God's power. But Jesus doesn't say that. Instead, John captures what happens in John 11.35. He says, then Jesus wept. And I just wonder, maybe that's for you some good news today. To know that in your pain and suffering, and you're asking, God, where were you? That God doesn't come with you to you with trite answers, but rather he cries with you. He experienced heartbreak with you. Yes, he knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but he still feels that human emotion of sadness. He is authentically human. Now, I think the warning here is that often you and I, we fall into an unhealthy pattern of shutting down the parts of uh, these parts of our heart, these parts where we feel sadness. We don't want to feel sad. We don't want to cry. We think of it as uh, being weak. 
And so we try to hide it. I know that that's true of me, of all of the emotions in the world that you can feel. Sadness does feel like a weakness. And so then we try to put a positive spin on things. We think because we're a follower of Jesus, we should never feel sad because God has a plan. Or we say to ourselves, everything happens for a reason, even though those were two things that Jesus himself didn't say. But I just want you to know right now, it's okay to feel sad. It's okay to cry out to God in your sadness. And I want to say, don't hold that in. Jesus felt angry. Jesus felt sad. He handled them really well. Um, But did you know that Jesus also felt anxiety? On the night that he was betrayed, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And he knew what would happen over the course of the next 24 hours, that he would be betrayed by Judas, that Peter would deny him, that he would be beaten, that he would be crucified, and that he would die. And we might think that Jesus, again, might be the, well, he's God, so he's going to be all about this. But we see his prayer, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. And he prayed more fervently. And he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. So we say even Jesus, stressed out, overwhelmed, panicking about what is about to go through. Yes, he is God, but he is also fully human. And what John writes, or sorry, what Luke writes about is very fascinating because for a long time, people thought, um, they're talking about Jesus and how he sweat and they were like blood. They thought that this was an exaggeration, which might play into the critique of the Bible. And is the Bible reliable? Up until the 20th century, when we discovered hematidrosis, Luke, the doctor who writes this gospel, was writing about hematidrosis 2,000 years ago, before we even really knew what this was. And for those of you who are curious, what is Luke talking about? Hematidrosis is a condition in which the capillary blood vessels that feed into the sweat glands rupture, causing them to exude blood occurring under the conditions of extreme physical or emotional stress. Luke says, Jesus was under so much stress that blood vessels in his face broke and that the blood comes out through the sweat glands. It's remarkable to speak to not only the reliability of the Bible, but the inspiration of God to reveal things to Luke. Now, you and I, we're not going to face the things that Jesus had to face. We don't have to live the perfect life. Uh, we're not going to be uh, captured by the Roman Empire, and crucified, and, and the weight of the sin of the world on our shoulders. Though Jesus has taken care of all of that, but we do have anxiety, stress, and worry. We did a series called Mind Matters about these things. But what we do when we get stressed out is that we usually turn to unhealthy behaviors to numb ourselves and to hide our fears. Things like binge drinking, overeating, workaholism, binge watching, drug abuse, and so on. And we see that in the midst of Jesus' anxiety, his stress, and being overwhelmed, he didn't turn to those things. He didn't try to numb out. Rather, he prayed and God strengthened him. We don't have to run from our anxiety, but rather we can bring our anxiety to God as Jesus did. Now, all of these things are how Jesus handles them, and that's great. But Jesus also felt gratitude. 
he lived a life of thankfulness to the Father. And he expressed gratitude in prayer, in his private prayers, and also in public. And he thanked God for the work that God was doing in the world. On one occasion, his disciples were coming in from an assignment he had given um, to them. And people were connecting with God. They were finding God. They were reaching people. And Jesus' heart was filled with gratitude. And he declared, Oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. Now, it seems counterintuitive, but I don't think that it's just anger, sadness, and anxiety in terms of emotions that we have a hard time with. I think that some of you might struggle with positive emotions. We're afraid to be happy because we're afraid something might be might go wrong anyway. So we can't be happy because, well, something could go wrong. And we can't really celebrate because it didn't go exactly according to our plan. We always have to tamper it down a little bit. Well, why? And no, we don't always have to. Jesus allowed himself to experience joy, to experience happiness, and he expressed that joy and happiness. It's the opposite of being cynical and, 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 and skeptical, but rather he let himself experience a joy, appreciation, and gratitude. Jesus wasn't afraid to be happy. Jesus had a full sense of how he was feeling And he expressed that without embarrassment. Now, I mentioned that this was going to tell us a great deal about Jesus, the person, because Jesus was fully God and he was fully human. And this is hard for us who are just fully human to wrap our minds around. But the author of Hebrews covers it a little bit. He says, now that we know what we have, Jesus, this great high priest with ready access to God, let's not Let it slip through our fingers. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all, all but sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy and accept the help. I love that because our high priest, Jesus, who dies on the cross for us, our God, knows exactly what it's like to be human, to have things that made him sad, to have things that made him angry, to feel joy, but also to feel anxious. And so whatever you're feeling, whatever you're going through, you don't have to be ashamed or embarrassed about how you feel about that. God himself has gone through that. That's what the writer of Hebrews says, that God has gone through that with us. Now, if we want to become more like Jesus, you and I today in 2021 in Madison, we have to become more self-aware. We have to honestly examine what's going on in our hearts, the 90% that's below the surface. Because not doing it isn't optional. You can't ignore 90% of your life and think that you're a person who is committed to God and committed to following Jesus, committed to being led by the Spirit With only 10% of your life, we have to bring all of it to him. But when we do that, and if you'll do that, if you'll be resolved to do that, the end result is that you'll be able to love God far greater than you do today, and you'll be able to love people better than you ever imagined. Which, as Jesus points out, is the reason for the Bible. So let's get practical for the last few minutes here. How do we let 
God's Spirit, search our hearts so that you and I become more self-aware. Well, first, you have to move beyond being resistant and resigned. Um, Again, I'm just going to ask that you walk into this. Yes, there's some information that's being passed, but will we let that information, the Holy Spirit, transform us? And if we will, if we will be resolved to do the hard things for the work of our relationships and our spirituality, we will reap a reward for that. And so there are two questions, very simple questions that are very difficult to answer. And the first question is, what are you feeling? What are you feeling? I know that sounds like a very simple question, but it's not. It's difficult to answer because oftentimes it's not just one thing that we're feeling, but it's multiple things that we're feeling. So right now, as we look at what we just talked about, are there areas in your life that you're feeling angry, but you're not talking about it or you're bursting out and it's just uncontrolled? Are there things in your life that you're sad about? but you're not allowing yourself to grieve. Are you anxious about something? Are you grateful? As you begin to answer this question, how do I feel? What do I feel? The next question in developing self-awareness is to say, to ask, why, why do I feel this way? And if you're willing to lean in to ask the questions, what am I feeling? How am I feeling? And to spend time on the why behind that, the Holy Spirit will illuminate something in your heart for you to see. Will you enter in that space right now? Will you enter into the space, the 90% that is below the surface with God? And will you allow Him to search your heart with you? Being self-aware is not an exercise in self-indulgence. Let's end with this. It's not about becoming so preoccupied with ourselves and becoming self-absorbed with how I think and how I feel and why I feel this way, but rather it's to allow the Holy Spirit to transform us. And as we open ourselves up to God to do this and we examine our emotions and our feelings through the Holy Spirit as we process that, we will have better relationships with not just God, but the people in our lives. And we'll be able to step into his will for our lives to accomplish his mission for our lives better. And in this, we can find freedom to love God more than we loved him yesterday, more than we love him today. That next year we'll love God more than we do this year. And that next year we'll love our enemies better than we love them this year. That next year we'll be able to love the people who disagree with us politically or religiously or whatever it might be more next year because of the exercises of what we are doing right now and becoming more self-aware as Jesus was self-aware. The path to emotionally healthy relationships is by imitating our Lord. So let's follow him.